I will get you there. Don't worry, I'll get you there. <laughs> hey, uh, we're going to be reading out of Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32 is going to be our scripture reading for today. But before I read Jeremiah 32, it's a very beautiful, beautiful passage. I've been reading this book by Jack Canfield. It's called The Success Principles. Uh, you might have heard of it. You might have heard of Jack Canfield. He's one of those guys that was a millionaire by like when he was like 30 years old or something like that. There was a couple guys that followed suit with that. But the book, the idea of the book is, uh, uh, or the theme or the premise, he says, in order to have a successful life, he says, you must take 100% responsibility for your life and the results. And I thought to myself, like, that's a pretty cool way to kind of live life, right? Because if you're like me, I'm a master complainer. I, I'm, I'm a master loving to point my finger at everybody. It's everybody's fault I am where I am right now. It ain't my fault, right? I love to deflect. I love to dodge. That's, that's just me. Can I get an amen if you're a sinner like me? Thank you. I just want just to make sure I'm not alone in the church today, amen? But, but I, I love that premise. But he actually talks about it in the book that really, what really got me uh, uh, wanted to present this to you guys. He talks about this formula that he created in his leadership. Now, he's a leadership guru, right? Uh, this is what he does. He travels across the world. He talks to uh, big time, Fortune 500 companies. And he came up with this formula called, write this down if you're taking down notes. Remember, whoever takes down notes gets to heaven. But anyway, so he wrote this formula. Uh, it's called E plus R equals O. Now, I'm going to explain that what that means. E, what it means, he, he talks about there are events that happen in our lives, right? Right? There are good events, and there are some events that we really don't like, right? We have that a lot. We have events that are negative. We have events that are positive. We have events that are uplifting. We have events that completely deplete us. And then he talks about each event, there's always an R, and that is the response, right? No matter what happens to you in your life, whatever, no matter what the event, there's always a response that you produce in your life, right? And if I can tell you right now, I'm a horrible responder. Like a horrible responder, because I get really deep in my feelings. Because you know me, I, I, I'm a pretty selfish guy. I, I think the world revolves on my, around me and orbits around Jovan. And if Jovan's plans don't happen, I'm responding negatively. Sorry, I'm just venting right now. But in, anyway. And then he says, whatever event that happens equals, uh, 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 adds to a response, and that equals an outcome. Right? And he says this, the outcomes in your life are a result of how you respond. And I thought to myself, that's a great way to look at life. He says, the outcomes are not due to the events, though, though we love to think that it's the, the events that happen to us when, when people disappoint us, when people leave us, when people hurt us, or, or whatever it may be. No, the outcome, it is determined by how you respond. And I don't know about you, but a lot of us want different outcomes in our lives. Am I right? Right? We, we want a different product than what we've been producing. We, we want a different way of, what, of how we've been reacting and even uh, uh, getting and receiving in our lives. And he says this, everything in your life uh, uh, that you experience is an outcome of how you responded to certain events. So about last year, uh, I did a, a wedding in California. It was my brother's wedding. I officiated the wedding. Well, of course, my brother and my sister-in-law had this bright idea to say, hey, you should bring your two-year-old you know where I'm going with this. You should bring your two-year-old because uh, he's a part of the wedding. So here I am now. We just had our second son at the time, and my wife's like, I'm just going to stay behind and watch the little kid. Of course you would, honey. Of course you would. 
And so here I am, and uh, I, I'm going through the airport from Cleveland to California with a two-year-old. Now, if you've had two-year-olds, you know two-year-olds, they make you respond a lot, right? Right? And, and you can just imagine what it was like. And let me tell you about my two-year-old, Brittany, who's here. Brittany can, 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 can say, my, two, my, my two-year-old, who's now three, is crazy. Right? He makes me look like an introvert. That's how crazy he is. He makes me look like oh, Javon's really reserved. I'm telling you, this guy right here. But, but, but we're, we're traveling across, we're, we're hitting all these airports, and you know, like a two-year-old, everything is interesting. He wants to touch everything. He's going up to this, and this dude stole an Aquafina bottle, and I did not even know it. They were like security chasing after him, like, what are you doing? I'm like, that's not my son. I don't know who that is. Where's the father? The bad father. You're not watching your child. Right? And, and you can imagine my response. You can imagine my response. My response is negative, and the outcome was I have a very grumpy uh, a two-year-old who's having a tantrum, uh, temper tantrums. I rebuke temper tantrums because I hate them. They're ridiculous. But that, but that moment wasn't, the event was my son acting crazy, but it was up to me to respond in a better way. Right? Right? In life, we have to learn, we have to know that our response produces certain results. And if you want better results, you got to produce and have a better response. Does that make sense? If you want better, it's not the events. You can't control the events. Haven't we learned long enough walking with Jesus? There are some things we can't control. If you haven't learned it, don't worry. God will make sure you know. There are some events that we, we just can't, we can't control, right? Right, the, the, the negative events, the, the events when someone disappoints us, the events when someone leaves us, the events when someone hurts us, whatever it may be, we cannot control that can't control our response. I love Charles Wendell. He says, life is 10% what happens to you, and 90%, you know this, how you respond, right? And the Bible helps us to understand that we have to have a healthy response to see better results in our lives, because our response affects our outcome, not the events. And here's what I want you to know, and he also goes on in this book, he says, how you respond is, is, is dictated by what you believe. And I thought that was pretty cool. And he says, whatever your values will dictate your response. And your response will directly impact the outcome. So here's what he says. He says, if I give you $200, right, he talks about the $200 effect. If I give you $200 and then you go out and you blow it on a bunch of Jordans or you go out and just buy a bunch of clothes and whatnot and you have no money, the event is I gave you $200. The response is you spent the money, but what was the belief that you thought you deserve everything? You thought that your value was about was just on you. It, it was just about you, right? But here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to realize. Yes, we cannot control the events that happen in our lives, but we have this thing called faith. There's always a direct response to whatever happens in our lives. The response, uh, the events that, that cause fear, the events that overwhelm us, the events that, that cause us to question everything in life, the best response is the greatest response, and that's the response in faith. In faith in what? Not in self, not in the world, not in possessions, not in your education, not in your experience, but in who God is. That's where our, our response lies on who God is. And we got to get a lot better than responding by who God is, not with what's going on in our lives. And when we cling to the reality of who God is, we find, here's what I want you to know, we find that nothing we face Listen, this, this whole merger can feel challenging to some people. 
But I want you to know the best response is not the emotional response, even though God works in emotion. I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie about that. I'm an emotional guy. I cry about everything. I cried watching Twilight the other day, all right? I cried watching everything. But the best response is an upward response, right? The best response. And when we cling to the reality of who God is, we will realize nothing is too great for our God. Amen? Nothing is too great. Let's go to Jeremiah 32. I'm going to give a little historical context in just a little bit. But I want to read this passage. I believe this passage is going to encourage you and inspire you. And here's what I want to tell you and encourage you on, on my end. I want you to memorize this passage. It's a long passage, but I want you to memorize this every single day. Because there are certain events that really overwhelm us. But, there, but this passage can really help us to respond with prayer. This is Jeremiah 32. I'm going to begin at verse 16. Again, I'm going to give a little historical context in just a little bit, but it reads like this. After I, this is Jeremiah, had given the deed of the purchase to Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. This is one of my favorite prayers in the, New, uh, in the Old Testament. It's just in the Bible. Look at what he says. Ah, Lord God. If you have the NIV, it says, Sovereign Lord. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your, notice the emphasis on you and your. Uh, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. It is by your great power, by your outstretched arm. Listen to this. Nothing is too hard for you. Thank you. Nothing is too hard for you. I love Jeremiah's response. And we're going to talk about why, why he responds in this way. And he looks to God and to God and he says, nothing is too hard for you. You know what I believe? Nothing's too hard for this temple. I believe that. I believe, I believe with God in it, great things happen. When, when we respond like Jeremiah, we're going we're to talk about why he responded. We see great things because we serve a great God. He says, there's nothing too hard for me. And then he goes on and he says this. I'm going to read the rest of the passage. Bear with me. He says, you, again, emphasis on you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of the fathers to their children after them. Oh, great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open on all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the his, uh, fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day in Israel and among all of mankind and have made a name for yourself. God is going to make a name for himself through this campus and through your life. God's name is going to get fam more famous because of the great work that he's going to do through us and through this campus. Amen? He says, verse 21, you brought, the, your people, you brought your people, uh, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. And you gave this land, which you swore to their fathers to give them in a land of milk, flowing with milk and honey. And they entered it and took possession of it. But they did not obey your voice or walk laws. They did nothing at all to, that you commanded them to do. What do, what do we see here? First of all, I want to say this. Jeremiah shows us a better way to respond when life gets a little bit heavy. Because what's going on in Jeremiah's life is life is a bit heavy. See, you got to remember, Jeremiah, he is a prophet, right? He, he is a prophet. As a matter of fact, some scholars call him the weeping prophet. He's like me. He cries about everything. 
He's a very emotional guy, and he's watching the destruction of Israel literally happen right in front of him. So you got to remember, God chose the nation of Israel long, long time ago through this guy named Abraham, and he carried that promise through this guy named Moses when he delivered the Israelites out of the hand of Pharaoh from Egypt. And God has been faithful. God has been leading. God has been providing and doing all these things. And the one thing he tells Israel, something that's really not that hard, is that if you want to see, continue to see success and prosperity, you must listen to me. Israel didn't want to listen to God. You know, there's a lot of times in my life I don't want to listen to God. Because, you know, sometimes I think I'm my own God. You know, I like to be king sometimes. I like to sit in that throne like, God, Jesus, scoot over, you know. Here I am, you know. <laughs> my plans and my ways work. And so now Israel is being besieged. If you actually read verse two, uh, verse 2 earlier in this chapter, you're seeing that these guys named the Babylonians are attacking Israel. They're attacking Israel, and they're taking Israel down. And Jeremiah's watching all of it. He's been telling Israel, turn from your ways. Turn from God. He, he spoke a message that may have been unpleasant to the world, but it was encouraging for their hearts and their future as well. But they did not listen. And not only that, Jeremiah is thrown in prison. Now, I, I want to share something with you. This is my nerd, some nerd side coming out of me. There seems to be some connection between Jeremiah in prison and Paul the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, him being in prison, right? And, and we see pretty much the same response, different location, different person, but the same response. And what's their response? They called on God. They said, despite what's going on around me, I'm going to direct my attention to the one who's above me. And he says, listen, this, this situation is too hard for me to fathom and understand, but I know he's what Jeremiah does, he does what something we need to do. He seeks God for clarity. Because what a lot of us, when, when, when life feels like a prison, when life feels dark, we love to focus on darkness. As a matter of fact, some, some, some psychiatrists would say the, the uh, man's most uh, uh, detrimental problem is they get tunnel vision. When life is hard, the only thing you focus is on hard, right? That's your, that's your only vision. All you see is bad. All you see is things that are not going well. And you can never see the other side. You can never see the complete picture. You just see one side. That's our biggest problem in our lives. But Jeremiah tells us that we need to take a 30,000-foot view and say to ourselves, but God. But what about God? Well, well, what about God? Sure, this may be true, and sure, this may be a reality, but I know a God who is above all of this. And he seeks and he seeks God for clarity. He seeks God for clarity, and what happens when he seeks God for clarity? He finds comfort. See, comfort isn't anything we can do for ourselves, but it's something only God can give us. But I love his response. He, he looks toward God. He, he sees himself in this difficult moment, and he looks towards God. What Jeremiah teaches us now, I want everybody listening to this because this is very important. It's very important that we learn from Jeremiah's example. And what is Jeremiah's example? Jeremiah moves to a, a more of a theological approach to God. He moves to more of who God is. And it's important that we expand our understanding of God. Because if you have a basic view of God, you're going to live a basic life. It's important that you and I, we, we don't just look at God as love, and those things are awesome, and those things are great. But there, are mo there is more to God than you can ever know. He's an infinite being. Right? And he reveals a certain factor about himself to humanity. We can't know him completely, but we need, need to know him accurately. 
okay? We can't fully fathom who he is. That, if, if we could, that wouldn't make him God. That would make him like you and I. But we have a God who wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. And the greatest gift is not what God gives you, but who God is for you. That's the greatest gift in our lives. And he moves to more as a theological. And here at Christ Church, we care about how we talk about God. We really do. That's the reason why we have ordinations. Uh, that's the reason why we have certain studies. We got guys like Logan and uh, Katie who's going to school for this. This is why it, we, we care about how we talk about God. Because you ever heard something about God, you'd be like, that don't make sense. Like, I used to think God was this holy vending machine where he just give me, gave me whatever. You laugh because it's true. I used to think, okay, God ate one. I want this. Give it to me now. Right? But, but God is much bigger than that. And we must move to a true knowledge of God. And here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say. <coughs> the way we view God shapes the way we live. I want you to understand that. The way we understand God shapes the way we live. Yes, God is full of love, but God is also just, right? God is also righteous and holy and above, transcendent. I'm saying all these theological words. I know it may bore you, but here's the one thing I want you to know. Theology is not just so you can show it off to your friends how much you know about God. Theology, as J.I. Packer says, theology helps us in the darkness. Because when you don't know anything else, you can go to what you know about God, that this is true. I love what J.I. Packer, he says, theology is not, meant just for, uh, not just meant for the kid in seminary school, but it's meant for the average person who is going through darkness. What I know about God. <laughs> uh, last year, when my son was three weeks old, our youngest, he got RSV. You know RSV, it's a nasty, nasty, nasty uh, disease, right? And if you get it at a very young age, it can be really, really bad, right? If, if the kid is a little older and they get it, they can survive it and it's not as bad, but when they're young, three weeks old, when they're young, it's, it's, e uh, it's easy to, to hurt them in a very bad way. And I never forget, you know, when you're in a bad moment, a lot of thoughts run through your head, right? And mostly they're, they're negative thoughts, right? But mostly they're negative thoughts. And, you know, the, the one thing that helped me in that process, because I was telling myself, what are we going to do, right? I felt lonely in that season. But I did like I, what, what Psalms 121 says. I look to the hills, but where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven. See, it's what I know about God, right? Now, I haven't fully grasped all of God, right? I don't think we'll ever be able to do that on this earth. But, but what I know about God helped us in that season, and it comforted our hearts. So I encourage you, church, to grow your knowledge of God. Don't just have a view of God that you have right now. Continuously grow. Continuously expand. And pretty much what, 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 what Jeremiah teaches us and what Jeremiah says when he says nothing's too hard for God. He wants us to see that God is able. God desires to show you that he is able. Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 9, when a little boy was suffering and a dad came to him, he says, if you can do anything, and Jesus looks at him and says, if I can do anything? You know who you're talking to? I can imagine Jesus was a black guy. Do you know who you're talking to? Who you talking? You know who you're talking to? Me. And he says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. What if that was our approach in our life, that we saw God is able? 
We aren't, but God is. What if we looked at God and we, this, this truth compels us to draw near to him in every season of our lives? What if we said this to ourselves? God is able to redeem our past. This is one thing that would affect you more in your life, and it's this thing called your past, because we all have a past. We all got things we're not too proud of. We all went to college. Again, I'm just talking for myself. You know, I'm just talking for myself. We, we all have this thing called a past, but God has the ability. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to, to do immeasurably more than we ask or think. But what if this was our view in our church? God is able to grow this, even though it looks a little bit funny. But God is able. What if we had this approach in our lives and in our church? What if we had this approach that God is able to restore your marriage? What, what, what if we had this approach that God is able to free me from this addiction? God is able. What, what if we looked at it and we said, God is able to heal my broken relationships, my broken family? Because we all got a past, we all have a family. And most families, if not all families, are broken. Right? You always got that uncle, you know, geez, you just never get the right, never get the right. Again, I'm speaking for myself. What if this was our faith? And here's the thing. When we look to the ability of God, when we look to what God can do, it makes us bold. It makes us courageous. Because there's a lot of things that steals our joy, right? There's a lot of things that robs our courage, right? There's a lot of things that, 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 that keeps us from the life that God wants for us. But when we look to the reality of God, the reality of Jesus Christ, who is God. When we look to who he is, it makes us bold. And we walk with boldness. We pray with boldness. We reach others with boldness. What if this was our response so that we can live with more courage? What, what if we looked at, what if this was our response and our first go-to when life gets heavy? Because bold faith comes by looking at the greatness of Jesus Christ. Number one, we find our hope when we look to the greatness of God. That's where we find our hope and our encouragement. Right? The world always tries to offer you this thing called hope. And it says if you, if you put your money into this, then you'll get that. Right? The world always over-promises but under-delivers. Right? The world promises this. The world promises that. And at the end of the day, we find ourselves empty-handed because we took our response and we put it in the wrong place and in the wrong person. Look to the greatness of God. We realize, listen to this, we realize. No, because we're still on this journey. I want you to know whatever you're facing right now, you, you lack the strength, but God doesn't. <laughs> you lack the ability, but God doesn't. What if this was our approach? What if you and I said to ourselves, but what can God do? See how, see how it makes us bold, makes us uh, courageous in our lives, but also in this church as well. Here's what I think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you five different things of how we can end our time in here. And I'm going to end early. You're welcome. I'm not a long preacher. I know black preachers like to preach long and sweat and yell, but I'm two out of the three of those things, okay? I, I, <laughs> y'all laugh too hard. Y'all laugh a little too hard, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so here it is, number one. An attitude that nothing's too hard for God. And it inspires us to try new things. Listen, this is a new thing we're doing, right? 
right? And new things are, are, are challenging, right? New, new things like this, changes can, can make us a little bit hesitant, right? But we walk into this not looking at our own hands and our own strength, but we look to the one who has an outstretched hand and the one who is nothing's too hard for him as we walk into this. We try new things. We try new things. And, of course, everything we try, we want to do it to honor and glorify God. And anything that we do that honors and glorifies God, God will be faithful to complete it. Anything that's for God, he'll make sure it happens. Right? It was for God, he'll make sure. Now, he may not do it the way we want to do it. Right? Because God has a funny way of doing that. <laughs> uh, when we started Parma Heights, we, we didn't think we were coming to Old Brooklyn. We, we didn't think we were coming to Old Brooklyn. And I'm sure when Old Brooklyn was getting, they didn't think we were going to come over here and, and stink up a joint. I mean, like, physically not. Anyway. <laughs> what happens is we look to God and we say, okay, but God is in this. And nothing's too hard for him. I believe God has the ability to help our campus reach its full potential. I believe, I believe our campus reaches its full potential, and I believe you and I take a step forward in faith when we have the approach that nothing is too hard for our God. I believe our campus uh, 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 begins to be uh, impactful, not just in Old Brooklyn, but in many cities that surround us when we have this approach that nothing's too hard for God. And I believe this. I believe this. Not only does looking to the greatness of God make us bold in faith, but it makes us bold to share Jesus Christ to others. Listen, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Here's the thing. The world has a bad version of Christianity. Uh, the world has a version of Christianity where it's, they're, they're, they, they hate this, they hate that, they can never have fun, they can never do this, they can never do that. But we get to be the light and the salt of the world to show people there's nothing too great for our God. We get to be the light of the world that helps a single mom in this city who has to raise three kids, who is, who, who, who is uh, going through hard things in our lives, and we get to walk in and we get to remind her there's nothing too hard for our God. We get to walk in and we get to help those who are hungry. I don't mean by spiritually hungry. I mean by physically hungry. We have our uh, food distribution every Saturday, and we don't go there just to hand out food. We go there to remind people there's nothing too hard for our God. There's nothing too hard for our God. What if you and I, we, we, we reminded ourselves our, our job isn't meant to just sit in these seats and hear a word from Javon and go home and do the same thing. No, what if our posture was we hear God's truth and we walk in God's truth as well? What if, what if that was our approach? Because that's my approach. Again, Brooklyn wasn't the first thing I thought of. What if this was our approach in our lives? Number two, I'm going to speed through these kind of quick. <clears throat> Number two, an attitude that nothing is too hard for the Lord produces confidence and assurance that the Lord is with you and the Lord is for you. Right? It's real easy to look at our problems and our situations and feel lonely. But the reality is we're not. See, what I love about Jeremiah's prayer, Jeremiah didn't always pray. If you read the book of Jeremiah, it's about 44 chapters. You read the book of Jeremiah in the beginning when God called him about 40 years prior to what we're reading right now. Uh, uh, when, when Jeremiah well, was called by God, his prayers weren't so bold. They were actually a little bit, he was stuck in his feelings and he was very insecure. Which is why I can relate to the man Jeremiah today. Right? He, he, his prayers weren't so bold. He, he questioned his existence. He questioned his life. As a matter of fact, he wished he would have died in his own mother's womb. Literally, that's what he says in this book. Notice his prayer changes. Why does his prayer change? 
because when you walk with God long enough, he'll give you reason to be bold. Does that make sense, friends? When you walk with the Lord long enough, he'll give you reason to trust him. Right? So many times I see Christians walk away from God, and they walked away way too soon. Because they didn't have the posture that nothing is too hard for our God. What if this was our approach? <laughs> Number three, an attitude of nothing is too hard for the Lord allows us to see our challenges different. This is very important. See, I believe there's benefits. When you have God in your life, you see life differently, right? Right? When you have Jesus, it makes a big difference when Jesus is in your life. Apart from Jesus, we worried about everything. I still worry about everything, but I, still, I, I, I can look to the him, to the hills, and I can say, Nothing is too hard for you. What if this was our posture, that our lens was, the, uh, uh, that our life was viewed through the lens of who God is? Because the substance of Jeremiah's hope was found in the reality of God. His hope was in who God is. Number, what number am I on? Say it, say it. Four, there we go. <laughs> I forgot, I got lost. Here we go. <laughs> An attitude that nothing is too hard for the Lord compels us to depend on Christ, not ourselves. Listen, last week, if you were with us, we talked about the fact that we have limitations. And life reminds us that. Last week, we talked about how, how, how life uh, reminds us that our, our, our arms is not an outstretch. It's actually a short arm. Because we have no power. We, we have no strength. We, we don't have any ability. And this particular passage compels us to depend on God. Here's the one thing I want you to know. Jesus didn't come down so that he can help fulfill all your dreams and your plans. That's not the purpose of Jesus. I love what J.I. Packer says. He says, Jesus came to man so that man may become like Jesus. Or another way to say it, Jesus became like us so that we might become like him. See, here's the truth. Jesus came to remind us that we're sheep, and sheep need a shepherd. And he calls himself what? The good shepherd. And that we need to live in total dependence on God. We need to die to self. Like, like Jesus, he died in physical form, we died in a spiritual form. And as he was raised to life, we are raised to new life in Christ. This is our approach to life. This is the reason why we depend on God. Because like Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You can do nothing, friends. This campus can do nothing unless it looks to the hand of God. It doesn't matter how charismatic the preacher is. It doesn't matter, matter how beautiful the congregation is, and y'all some good-looking people. <laughs> Somebody went like this. Thank you. <laughs> but it begins when we look in the person of Jesus Christ. Number five, <clears throat> the attitude that nothing is too hard for the Lord, it conquers the doubt we experience. Now, here's the one thing I want you to know. Doubt is not a bad thing. Doubt's actually a good thing, right? There are times in your life, as we live in an age of growing science, Right? I always say science is just catching up with God now. But anyway, we live in an age of growing science, right? And, and people try to explain life in a certain way, and it kind of feels contradictory to what we learned growing up in church, right? right? And, and I tell you right now, doubt is, is not the absence of faith. Doubt is actually the promoter of faith. It makes you search deeper. It makes you say, God, I need to know more of you. I need to know more of you. That's the purpose of it. Number, number two, I want to say this as I close. We find hope and encouragement also when we look to the faithfulness of God. One thing I'm going to tell you, and one thing that I preach all the time, I love preaching on God's faithfulness. Did you see what Jeremiah did in verses 20 to 23? He looks back on God helping Israel. He, he looks back and he, and, and he sees 
God was faithful to Israel. God delivered Israel. Not only did God deliver Israel, but the, but the promise that he made to Abraham, he, he fulfilled it through Joshua. They, they entered the land and they possessed it. Did you catch that verse when he said that? He says God made, God, God made a promise to, to Israel and he was faithful to fulfill that promise because God is a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. He's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. You and I may fail others, and we do fail others a lot, and others fail us, but God will never fail you. This is who, this is the God that we serve. He is faithful. And even in Israel, listen to this, even in Israel, when they rebelled against God, when they said no to God, when they ran away from God, guess what? God's faithfulness was not dependent on their performance, but it was dependent on his character. I love talking about this, because I've seen God's faithfulness in my own life. And you have too. Right. Right? <laughs> when that, that thing we prayed for, and it, when, when, when one month went by, and six months went by, and a year went by, and the things we prayed for didn't happen. And then as soon as the moment we feel like we lost hope, God shows you his help is behind. And the prayer that you prayed, he exceeded. And he showed you that I am your hope. He showed you that I am your hope. God is a faithful God. And guess what? The God who was faithful to Israel, listen, God is immutable. That's another fancy word, another theological word. I'll help you out with that. It means he is unchanging. You and I change, which we need to. Like, if you're the same, like, in high, like in high school that you are today, that's a problem, right? We're going to call you out on that. You ever, you ever read in, 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 um, in your book, the never change? Like, no, you should change, bro. Like, that's the stupidest thing anybody, anybody can tell you. Never change. No, I need to change, bro. <coughs> I lost my train of thought. But, uh. But, but at, the, at the end of the day, we, we see God's faithfulness no matter our disobedience. Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this. Even when you are faithless, God remains, answer, faithful. Even when you drop the ball, and we drop the ball a lot. Even when you say unkind words to your spouse, and we do that a lot. Even when you're unkind to your own children, when you don't give the effort like you need to at your job, God says, my faithfulness is not determined by your obedience, but who I am. And I believe one day we're going to be like Jeremiah. Catch this. We're going to be like Jeremiah, and we're going to sit back five, ten years later, and we're going to say, do you remember when we nursed? Remember how hesitant we were? God showed us. I think one day we're going to sit back and say, you remember when we started together? You remember when the house wasn't as full as it is today? I believe we are in history in the making. I believe God is showing us and reminding us one day we'll sit back and we'll say, you remember when all seemed lost, God's eyes never left us. When all seemed to be dark, the light of grumblings will not prevail. Your attitude will not prevail. Your failures will not prevail. But upon this rock, I will build my church. And haven't we seen him do that? Haven't we 
see him grow the church. Listen, I don't know if you know anything about the history of Christ Church, but we have a serious history. Forty years in the making. When we were just in a small little uh, uh, little room on Lund Road, then we had to go to the high school. The next you know the high school was 2006 when we opened up the building. And then in 2006 was in 2013 when we opened up a Lyric Campus. In 2015, we opened up this campus. We have seen God's faithfulness. And God's not done doing good work. You, you, you think God has stopped doing good work? No. The Bible says he neither sleeps nor slumbers. He's always moving. And this is where our faith needs to be. Let me, let me point you to one more thing, and then I'll close. Let me point you to one more thing. Did you notice in verses, let me look for it, verses uh, 18 and 19, verse 18 at the end, he says, O great and mighty God, this is an interesting word. This word means El Gabor. Uh, in the Hebrew, El Gabor means almighty, all-powerful God. Listen to this, whose name is great. Almighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel. There is somebody in Isaiah 9 that gets talked about. Isaiah 9 says, a son will be given. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be what? Wonderful counselor. He'll be mighty God. Prince of peace. Christ came to us so that we might depend on him. Because Christ's victory on the cross, he says, you go through trials and tribulations, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Our victory is Christ's victory over death, hell, and the grave. Christ can't lose. The devil thought he had him in the chokehold, but Jesus made him tap out. Our God can't lose. And he won't start today. Dear Father, we love you. Dear Father, we thank you. We thank you for the awesome reminder that nothing is too hard for you. You are God, great and mighty, awesome and power, great indeed, great in counsel, God. Help us to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who was a joy set before him. He endured the Christ, despising the shame, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of Christ. We thank you that Christ conquered the grave. And because Christ conquered the grave, we are more than conquerors today. We thank you for that. We thank you for the reminder. Father, give us hope as we move forward in this new season of life. Give us hope as we move forward in our, in, in our, in our homes, in our marriages, with our families. Give us hope to realize and remember your greatness. And what is your greatness? That nothing is too hard for you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Christ's perfect name. Amen.